1: Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Friday afternoon, September 29th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us. I'm Rob Hart. Ticket prices surging on reports that Taylor Swift is going to the Chiefs-Jess game in New York on Sunday. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, ahead of the Chicago Innovation Awards in November, we're getting a clearer picture of some of the trends in entrepreneurship and innovation. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line Reminding you to bring your business home is Luke Tannen, Executive Director of Chicago Innovation, the website chicagoinnovation.com. Luke, thank you for joining us on this Entrepreneur Friday. And all of the entrepreneurs, not only in the Chicago area, but the people we profile, Luke, are innovators in their own way. And just tell us about some of the businesses uh, that have been nominated for Chicago Innovation Awards.
2: Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. I can tell you there was 344 nominees for this year's Chicago Innovation Awards, and they cut across all industries. They were from big corporations, startups, for-profits, nonprofits, high-tech, low-tech, and no-tech. And on November 16th, we'll be hosting the 22nd Annual Chicago Innovation Awards at the UIC Forum. It's the biggest celebration of innovation in the Chicago region, um, and 20 winners will be honored for their new products, services and organizations.
1: And, Luke, uh, some of these companies might have started doing one thing but have since uh, transitioned to another. And one of the examples is Jellyvision, uh, based in Chicago. And they were behind the, if you might remember, the You Don't Know Jack trivia game uh, from many years ago. But uh, they've moved on beyond uh, video games. They're now a big player in the HR software space.
2: Yeah, that's a great example, and you know it also demonstrates that Chicago, while it does have a breadth of innovation that cuts across all industries and sectors, this year, as in the case with most years, we always see a ton of business services innovation. And Jellyvision has been a long-time business services innovator um, and made that pivot as you explained, and are a real leader in software for HR and employees. Um, but you know another great business services nominee we saw this year is Project 44. They're one of Chicago's Tech Unicorns, and they make software for logistics companies. So, you know, business service innovation, it really applies to to so many different sectors and, and spaces.
1: We're talking to Luke Tannen, Executive Director of Chicago Innovation. Find him online, chicagoinnovation.com. I think people who saw the movie Oppenheimer over the summer uh, can really appreciate now uh, what it's like to have a major university or three in your general vicinity because you have a lot of smart people in one space tackling the issues of your time. And uh, with with Chicago having Northwestern nearby and the University of Chicago, uh, you can rely or tap that Brain power to uh, make great strides in the world of artificial intelligence.
2: Yeah, and you know, University of Chicago, they were a nominee for their Sand Lab. And uh, let me tell you what it is it's a really fascinating AI example. So, artists today are threatened. So, you know, artists who create, you know, different kinds of artwork, they're threatened by generative AI models that can be trained to target a specific artist replicate their style and reproduce their art for free. And so the U of C Sand Lab developed a technology that changes the way an artist's work is pixelated when it's uploaded onto a screen so that AI models can't copy it. So that was an example of actually an innovation combating AI. We also saw many great examples of, of innovators using AI uh, you know, to create additional value for customers and, and solve new problems.
1: The Chicago Innovation Awards coming up on November 16th at the UIC Forum. Luke Tannen, Executive Director of Chicago Innovation, thank you for joining us today. You can find him online at ChicagoInnovation.com. Coming up, how Swifties are impacting the NFL ticket market. economy of words. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Rumors that Taylor Swift will be at this Sunday's Chiefs Jets game in New York is driving up ticket prices. Let's discuss the power of the Swifties with. Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vertair Group based in Chicago. Tim, thank you for joining us today. And no, we're not going to change the name of this program to the WBBM Taylor Swift Hour. However, I think this is a fascinating subject because it touches on, Tim, a lot of things that we have talked about. And the first thing is that she seems to be defying and her celebrity seems to be defying uh, this fragmentation, which is bedeviling uh, so much of traditional media. She is a 20th century style star in 2023.
3: Yeah, look, um, I believe she is without question a a once-in-a-generation talent on a a whole bunch of different fronts. And uh, a strong argument can be made that she is um, about the closest thing to a mass appeal artist uh, that we have today. And that, that speaks to the splintering of music, the splintering of television and video, the splintering of sports and and all kinds of other interests we seem to have these days versus what we were more collectively, you know, decades before. Um, and as such, right, I think that she's one of not even a handful of people worldwide that can show up anywhere and cause some kind of stir sensation and largely with admiration um, and I think we saw some of that with that with the with the Chiefs Bears game last week when admittedly it was a pretty bad game. I mean, obviously as a Bears fan it was a bad game, but Objectively, it was a, a a chore to watch.
1: Yeah, it, it was and, it, it was it was a bad football game. I mean, it was you had a, the the reigning Super Bowl champions and a generational talent a, a, as quarterback and Patrick Mahomes beating up on the Bears, who were essentially a tomato can. And as the game went on, the the conversation turned to Taylor Swift
3: and the 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 Fox directors and uh, the the guys in the booth and the reporters on the field all basically said, we kind of just went with it. We got some inklings, didn't know she was going to be there. And when you have a dull game or a game that's uh, challenging to watch, you got to keep the audience kind of entertained. And it's kind of a perfect, perfect storm. Now, of course, <laughs> there's so much that's now happening and everybody seems to want to jump on the bandwagon tickets, uh, and even brand marketers, too, uh, going into this weekend's
1: game. We're talking to Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vertaire Group based in Chicago. I mean, this is a, a 20th century phenomenon that we're seeing right here. I mean, this is Beatlemania. Uh, this is disco. This is uh, MTV. Uh, and and I, I said the kind of the, the last phenomenon that really kind of took, the, took over the monoculture back when the monoculture existed was probably Titanic, uh, 25 years ago a movie that was number one at the box office for four months a number one song it won all the awards and was just basically everywhere for a very long time and it seemed kind of impossible to replicate that but here we are with taylor swift i also want to compare her to michael jordan uh in terms of this type this this figure who was an internationally famous person recognized the world over but imagine 25 years ago or 30 years ago, if you had social media tracking everything Michael Jordan did and all of his endorsements outside of Nike and Gatorade and these paid arrangements, all of a sudden brands would see what he was wearing just walking down the street or possibly eating and then jumping on top of that in the way that Kraft Heinz did with uh, with someone taking a picture of her of what she was eating in a skybox.
3: Yeah, which is going to be, uh, I don't think it's available just yet, but the Kraft Heinz has had, uh, excuse me, Heinz Ketchup. Uh, they've had a brand called Cranch, K R A N C H, which is sort of a ketchup uh, ranch kind of combo since 2019. But they've already taken a picture and started to socially share that something called ketchup and seemingly ranch is going to be a thing relatively soon. So brands love to hop on the latest cultural memes. Um, certainly television loves to take advantage of it, right? So there's no greater recipient of this comet from the Earth than NBC prime time this Sunday night when the Jets host the Chiefs, right? So this is just a found opportunity. But look, this is also happening on smaller levels, too. Certainly Michael Jordan in the past, but, you know, the Deion Sanders effect uh, with Colorado and football, right? Uh, Lionel Messi uh, showing up with – you know, Miami, Inter-Miami and MLS, right? So the problem, though, with all of this is, and, and Taylor Swift included, is it's all good until it's not, right? Uh, the, 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 uh, the, 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 the how fandom and how celebrity can change on an instant and maybe not necessarily in a positive direction. Um, and in the case of sports, even worse when, say, a team loses or in the case of Lionel Messi on, on Wednesday night at the U.S. Open Cup game, uh, vinyl uh, didn't play, so uh, people can easily get burned. So while it's it's fun to go on the upswing when this kind of stuff happens, uh, beware below because it's inevitable that something will likely happen and tarnish. And, and this has always been the problem with celebrity. And, and marketing and sponsorship of such.
1: Right. The, the the backlash happens eventually. Just be, you, get, you get sick of it. I mean, the Beatles broke up. Uh, uh, disco famously died and took music with it for a couple of years. And sure. uh, as I was telling somebody in the newsroom uh, in early 1999, I said, uh, if I hear the Celine Dion song from Titanic one more time, my brain is going to drip out of my ear. So eventually there's going to be some sort of backlash from someone.
3: Yeah, I think so. But you know what? I think Taylor Swift, frankly, is, is a very astute uh, celebrity in many respects in her management, too. I, she feels to me like somebody who will know when her moments are up. And uh, I, that's my bet, frankly, versus, say, the vast majority of others who sort of uh, go through this uh, phenomenon and frankly don't realize that uh, it's uh, time to hang it up.
1: Tim Hanlon, founder and CEO of the Vertaire Group in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next, the expanded UAW strike now has a direct impact on the city. It's conversation that's on the money. You're listening to the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Members of the United Auto Workers Union at the Ford Assembly Plant on the southeast side of Chicago now walking picket lines today. Let's update the strike against the big three automakers with Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chadwick Institute at DePaul University. Joe, thank you for joining us today. And the the issue of if the Ford plant on Torrance Avenue on the southeast uh, southeast side was going to be struck was really more of a when and not an if.
4: That's right. And exactly 20 minutes ago, they were scheduled to walk out, and that's a lot of workers. And it's uh, really a linchpin of their local operation for automakers, the oldest continuing operating plant. They make uh, Explorer SUVs and Lincoln Aviators uh, down there. And, uh, yeah, that's on strike, and 6,000 workers are affected. But what we're seeing here is, uh, you know, the strategic move by the UAW to first – uh, idle a few plants and gradually try to really affect the supply chain. Chicago gets hurt a lot worse as they uh, as they up the ante here.
1: And, and, and this was a, a, a strike strategy that uh, seems like it was uh, inspired by the airlines, uh, specifically the flight attendants union, uh, which was kind of I don't know if you want to call it a pioneer of the chaos strategy, where they would walk off uh, select flights and mess up the airline schedule and keep them guessing.
4: Yeah, that's right. And I mean it's painful to go on strike, you you work without pay and you you want to show the uh bargaining bargainers that you're dead serious and you're prepared to go uh you're prepared to escalate if needed, but you want to avoid that and that's exactly what they're doing. And unfortunately they were saying the progress uh both sides are getting frustrated because there apparently isn't uh, a lot of common ground. So now they're moving more toward, you know, some of the spare parts centers, the warehouses, There's a GM facility in Bolingbroke that's affected. The Stellantis, which is the former Fiat Chrysler, uh, in Naperville, they're all affected. So a lot of these smaller kind of... uh you know, supply chain uh, units are now joining the walkout.
1: We're talking to Joe Schwederman at DePaul University about the uh, strike now (laughs) expanding to the Ford operations on the southeast side. 6,000 workers uh, at two Ford facilities, uh, 4,600 at the assembly plant building in Chicago and about 1,300 more at the stamping plant in Chicago Heights. That's a lot of people walking picket lines. Uh, Generally, you know, what's the economic impact of uh, thousands of workers now Taking strike pay.
4: Yeah, you just look at the enormity of the Detroit Big Three as they call it. All the companies that are affected by this from suppliers of uh paint of interiors, electronics, chips and everything. And so, you know, we in Chicago are a big distribution center for that. So all these uh connected industries. Of course, dealerships are affected as well. And, you know, the, the general sense was a strike of three weeks. Uh, uh, the industry can roll with that. But if we get into four, five, six weeks and this escalates, you know, this is going to become a, a real drag, especially on the Midwest economy where these uh, uh, supp- uh, supplier uh, and, and manufacturers are just so pervasive.
1: Joe Schwederman, professor of public services and director of the Chaddock Institute at DePaul University. Thank you for joining us today. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, helping immigrants deal with legal issues and assisting women in navigating the world of real estate. This is Chicago's news traffic and weather station, News Radio 105.9. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon, I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. Investigators are looking for answers following the deaths of three people on Chicago's North Side this morning. Long-serving U.S. Senator Dianne Feinstein of California has died. In Entrepreneur Friday, we meet a Chicago area attorney who assists immigrants and help int- helps introduce women to the world of real estate. A Chicago restaurant is part of a new trend offering subscriptions. WBBM business. The markets are mixed right now. The Dow is down 156 points. The NASDAQ is up 21. The S&P 500 is down 11. We have 71 degrees right now in Chicago under partly sunny skies. Going up to 76 today, partly sunny this afternoon. It's 1231, topping our news at the half hour. Investigators are looking into the deaths of three people found this morning inside a building in the Edgewater neighborhood. The details from WBBM's Mike Krauser. The fire department was called called after the man and two women were found unresponsive in the building on the 5800 block of North
3: Broadway. Fire department spokesman Larry Merritt says the man was dead. The women were transported to a hospital where they died. The department called a level one hazmat.
4: Meaning, you know, maybe high CO levels or or whatnot, but uh, that was determined to not be the case. So crews took readings. There were no high levels of, uh, CO.
1: Is it possible they were exposed to fentanyl or something like that?
4: I I don't want to guess, you know, I don't want to guess or or make any assumptions, but uh, that seems like a possibility.
1: He said they'll wait for the autopsies. Mike Krauser, 105.9 WBBM. A groundbreaking and powerful figure in American politics has died at the age of 90.
3: Diane Feinstein started in local politics.
4: I was mayor of San Francisco for nine years. Before moving on
3: to the U.S. Senate in 1992. Mrs. Feinstein... Aye. The California Democrat took up many causes, including gun laws. Then Senator Joe Biden credited her leadership in sponsoring the 1994 federal assault weapons ban. She went out and did something that was a product of an incredible amount of work. But Feinstein's recent health problems and long Senate absences were too much for some members of her party, Congressman Rocana saying she needed to resign before the end of her term.
5: She's representing 40 million people in California. We ex- need someone who's going to be on top of the job.
1: Tom Foti, CBS News. It's 1232. As the noon business hour continues, markets are mixed right now. Joining us on the Village of Bedford Park business line, reminding you to bring your business home is J.J. Kinahan, CEO of IG North America and president of Tasty Trade in Chicago. J.J., thank you for joining us today. Let's talk about the uh, the big uh, economic headline from this morning, and that is the... uh, Personal consumption, uh, personal consumption expenditures price index reading, which basically is a, 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 a it totals up everything that we're spending, and it's the Fed's preferred inflation gauge. And when you strip out food and energy, it seems like inflation was flat month over month.
5: Yes, and and the reason that you said stripping out food and energy is why the Fed likes it because it's a more stable gauge without the two things that are the most volatile within the, within the index uh, normally. So that helps. And it was flat month over month. And initially, you know, we, we saw some nice gains on that. and The market per, per, uh, behaving very well, if you will. Uh, Dow up, S&P's up. And as the day has slipped on, we've seen bonds start to fade. Uh, So rates heading back, uh, you know, still lower on the day, but heading back higher than they were earlier this morning. We've seen the market start to slip. Uh, I won't call it significantly, but for many of us who uh, thought that maybe we would see the last day of the month with a little bit of window dressing, it's a little bit disappointing overall to see the market fade as we head into the afternoon.
1: And then is that just a case of uh, September being September? Uh, Historically speaking, it's been kind of a weak month for the markets.
5: Yeah, I I think that's part of it. And I just think that the, you know, not only have rates gone up, but the other thing that's happened is the the velocity of the longer-term rates has gone up quicker than the shorter-term rates. So, you know, we've seen basically across the board things go up. Actually, If we ever do get to a point where the 10-year and 30-year rates are higher than the two-year rate, that's a more normalized situation for us to be in. We normally don't go this long seeing shorter-term rates higher than longer-term rates, and it's usually not a healthy thing for the economy longer-term if you continue to stay in this pattern.
1: We're talking to J.J. Kinahan, CEO of IG North America, president of Tasty Trade in Chicago. It seems like the markets are beginning to weave a narrative of the Fed is basically done raising interest rates. And the and the PCE number that came out this morning bolsters that case. But they're not getting their rate cut. Uh, They're they're just kind of getting used to the idea of higher for longer.
5: Yeah, I think you're 100% right on that, Robin. In fact, it's probably looking till next summer before we get the rate cut uh, that many had predicted would happen uh, by this time. If you think about six months ago, you know, talking on your program, many were talking about a rate cut at this time happening. So I think this is definitely going to be delayed overall. Uh, you know, I, it's pretty amazing when you see the employment reports, et cetera, We've just stayed strong in the economy. We've seen uh, spending stay strong. Now we'll see if there's any effect with student loan payments coming up, et cetera. Some of the uh, strikes that have happened, obviously the auto workers one has stepped up a, a bit today also. So will the spending cutbacks that may need to happen because of those situations be something that does affect the inflation rate overall? Uh, that probably really won't be seen until at least the end of the calendar year.
1: J.J. Kinahan, CEO of IG North America, president of Tasty Trade in Chicago. Thank you for joining us today. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, a Chicago lawyer who is dedicated to two important causes. A deposit for your future. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. It's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon we're looking at the law and a suburban attorney working to help immigrants and also give a boost to women in the field of real estate. We welcome in Gina Diaz, real estate Attorney and founder of Diaz Case Law based in Berwyn. Gina, thank you for joining us today. And it sounds like you are part of a tradition that is as old as America itself, and that is helping newly arrived immigrants get their footing in their new country and uh, starting their new lives in America. And and, and when did you decide to take that up?
6: First of all, thank you for having me here. Um, Yeah, so I uh, became a lawyer. Um, And thinking that I was going to be like a great criminal defense lawyer, but then life has its way of working out and I started doing a lot of immigration work. I myself am an immigrant. So I started uh, my practice around April of 2009. And it's been going since.
1: And when an immigrant comes to you, uh, what uh, type of services do they need and uh, what do you have to do as an attorney above and beyond what we want to say, just basic client work?
6: Yeah, so they always, of course, want to know how can they legalize their status? What should they do? Where should they go? And it's a very difficult uh, situation to be in because our immigration system is not really Uh, immigrant-friendly, so there's a lot of loopholes and a lot of things you got to go through. So I kind of have to try and think outside the box and see what's best for them, not only um, legally, but also what they should do moving forward since they entered the country illegally.
1: So then you must have some really uh, unique and special insight on this uh, migrant situation that uh, leaders across the Chicago area have been dealing with for over a year.
6: Yeah, it's, it's pretty sad. And it's pretty, um, I see both sides of the story. I see the people that are saying, well, you know, um, they shouldn't be let in because they are taking a lot of resources. But I also see the humanitarian side as to like, well, we can't just turn them around. So it's, it's a very complex issue right now. And definitely something needs to get done. But it doesn't look like enough is being done, unfortunately.
1: And then just the sense of satisfaction that you get out of just helping people uh, who are really looking for someone to help them.
6: Yes, um, it's for me, it's personal. Like I said, I'm an immigrant myself and had um, not it was for thanks for the Ronald Reagan administration that gave us amnesty. I wouldn't be here talking to you right now. So um, for me, it's very personal. And I do believe that a lot of people that come here can contribute tremendously to this country if given a chance. But of course, there's there's the other side of it that is not such a good side. But we just kind of we're a country of immigrants. We we have to help as much as we can.
1: We're talking to Gina Diaz, real estate attorney and founder of Diaz Case Law in Berwyn. And are are there a lot of immigration lawyers in the Chicago area, or are you part of a a small sector of the law?
6: Um, Yeah, there are a a good uh, chunk of immigration lawyers um, in the Chicagoland area. And then there's a lot of those um, non-immigration lawyers that are non-lawyers that want to do immigration, like... Uh, the people that are like uh, in, in his, the Mexico, for example, they call them notarios, which is a notary. Only attorneys can be notaries in Mexico or in most of South America. So a lot of people here, uh, not knowing, they go to these uh, notaries thinking it's their attorneys. So there's a lot of, unfortunately, taking advantage of people that's going on. Um, if they're not well informed and actually go to an actual lawyer.
1: Does that is that does, does that happen in America as well? That uh, you do have uh, uh, new arrivées uh, in in Chicago. Uh, they've they they, they crossed. In the Southwest, they found themselves in a bus or an airplane. They're in Chicago. They're staying at the airport. They're staying at a police station. one soon before too long, they'll be staying in a tent. And you know that that's a pretty confusing situation for anybody. And then you're here, and you may not know 100% of the language. Uh, there probably are some unscrupulous types out there uh, looking to uh, take advantage of the situation.
6: Oh, there definitely is. And, you know, the, the good thing is there's also a lot of non-for-profit organizations that are willing to help as, at least as much as they can. But again, they're also limited in resources and we're taking in more than we can handle. So, um, you know, it becomes very confusing and complicated.
1: And then uh, the other side of your practice is you're a real estate attorney and you're trying to get women uh, into uh, real estate and I, I'm sure you've seen this a lot of times, that uh, when, when you're buying a house, uh, that can also be a very stressful situation. I mean, it's the most money you've – the largest check I ever wrote in my life was uh, the down payment for my home, and, you know, the closing can be a very confusing situation, and you're trying to uh, cut through the fog of, uh, of real estate law.
6: Yeah, so I became um, a real estate attorney almost immediately after uh, – Uh, getting barred in the state of Illinois because I used to be a realtor as well. Um, So I've been kind of doing it for a while. And then about four or five years ago, I started working with investors a lot because I myself am an investor and realized that, you know what, there's not nearly enough uh, female investors as there should be. So me and my best friend started a uh, women's group called uh, Women's Investor Network, formerly known as WEWIN. And what we do is try to help women investors, also men, we don't discriminate, um, to become better investors, to be more educated. And, you know, sometimes we do like fundraisers to help them with a deposit or, you know, housing. Um, just a lot of really cool things. Being uh, uh, being very uh, experienced investors, we want to kind of give back. And I kind of became like a, I want to say investor certified attorney now because 90% of my real estate clients are investors.
1: Now when you talk about a real estate investor, are we talking about someone who buys a property, renovates it and then sells it at a profit? Are we talking about somebody who invests in an apartment building? I mean, what what is a real estate what's the most common form of real estate investor that you work with?
6: Yeah, so it could be all that you mentioned. Um, We have real estate investors that buy homes, they fix them, and then they sell them. We have a lot of real estate investors that want to build their portfolio, so they buy uh, properties, they fix them, and then they rent them. Um, I have all different types of financing for those. We do a lot of creative financing, we do a lot of wholesaling. Um, and then just a lot of like thinking outside the box to help get these deals done. So I love it. It's very, um, it definitely challenges my mind all the time. And it's it's almost like trying to put a puzzle together to make something ugly into something pretty and benefit somebody else.
1: Gina Diaz, real estate attorney and founder of Diaz Case Law in Berwyn. Thank you for joining us on this Entrepreneur Friday. Still to come: purchasing a subscription to a restaurant. Chicago's Michelin starred Esme has launched a membership program. Let's learn more about this trend involving restaurant subscriptions from Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality in Chicago. Doug, thank you for joining us today. For $650 a person, you can get three tasting menu dinners and perks like cooking classes, private tastings, meet and greets and with featured artists and direct booking. And it sounds like uh, Esme is not the first one to try out this uh, restaurant subscription concept.
0: Uh, Exactly, Rob. Uh, It's interesting what's transpiring because this is taking from the old. And what I mean by that is um, if we look back uh, and take a look at sort of this club type of of, um, idea, we go way back. Uh, You could go back to the Playboy Clubs. You could go back to um, we had a club at the Blackhawk where you would pay uh, an up charge in order to belong there as well. And so as time has gone on, Restaurants see that there is a tremendous opportunity, especially in higher-priced uh, restaurants, to be able to offer their guests really uh, uh, the experience that is beyond what they're offering normal uh, the, the normal guests that's there today. And so they're doing it. Um, actually, uh, another uh, one that's going to be opening shortly in late 2023 is a joint venture between Let Us Entertain You and the Tao Group. There's another one that's opened recently called the Astra Club, so it is happening and happening big.
1: Yeah, I mean you you mentioned some uh, examples from the recent past, but uh, if you are if you have a social membership at a country club, uh, you also have access to their restaurant and their dining facilities, so it's not uh, too uncommon.
0: No, not at all. I mean, uh, obviously the country club experience has been around for, you know, hundreds of years, um, and what you're seeing even more today. In fact, there was a, a piece a couple days ago is that Midway uh, has a new club that's going to be offered as well. And really what uh, is happening is, is that obviously it's the eighty twenty 20 rule. Uh, you know, obviously 80% of your business is coming from uh, tw- uh, 20% of your revenue is coming from 80% of your business. Um, and uh, or the other way around. <laughs> so <laughs> it, 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 Whatever. You know what I'm talking about. But basically but
1: yeah. this this locks in your loyal customers.
0: Exactly, I and mean, it goes back to the loyalty program. I was uh, I was working many years ago before I got into uh, the family business with United Airlines, and they introduced the Mileage Plus program. And uh, it's 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 really just um, a program that is based on uh, making sure that uh, our guests uh, become more in, in, entrenched. We use the data today as far as what uh, our guests are eating, what our guests are, are their preferences, and it, it's 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 really honing in. And making that experience something up and beyond what the normal experience has been.
1: Doug Roth, founder and president of Playground Hospitality in Chicago, thank you for joining us today. You'll find past programs and later today a podcast of this hour at WBBMNewsRadio.com and the Odyssey app.